Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. My name is Sarah Devonier, and we're really glad you're here with us. And I'm especially glad to have my good friend Christine Anderson with us today. She's here to talk about some really important things that she's gone through personally. I think every testimony is personal, and every testimony has an important narrative. So to begin your narrative, if you would please talk about the foundations of your testimony and your family and how that affected your belief system. Sure. Um, I grew up in Southeast Idaho, a big family, uh, seven kids. My dad worked in sports. Uh, I think it was very stereotypical type of Mormon upbringing. Um, very active and um, the type of family where we attend every meeting and event. We, there were never any um, questions discussed at home. Everything was accepted without question. There were religious books in our home, but they were all from Deseret Book. They were all from general authorities. They were all from um, I guess you could say accepted um, safe avenues that I know that my I grew up seeing my parents have deep faith. They believed deeply and they practiced ev- their faith every day. I think growing up also with a, they were very conservative and I think I was exposed to a lot of um, Let's say, I think my viewpoints may have been influenced by how much Rush Limbaugh I heard. (laughs) (laughs) And I combine that maybe with um, some things that I heard from church to create one type of truth. Um, I know that not everyone in my family was grew up with the same type of black and white thinking that I did. And I also think my personality is a little bit more Let's just say I was the only one in the family who would lecture everybody else on what what they were doing right and wrong. I was called, I was the tattler of the family. I was the one, um, one of my nicknames was Mother Teresa because I said, well, she never does anything wrong. So I think part of my lenses that I grew up with were part just who I was and how I absorbed things and also what I did here around me. Um, and so it was my home and my environment and my leaders at church and a combination of just the type of person that I was. Yeah. I, it's interesting because you could start that narrative. Like you said, you could look at that as a stereotypical LDS story, although maybe it's not healthy right. to even look at it that way. But in some ways it is a stereotype to be sure and some I people felt very normal right. and very mainstream. And a lot of people might say, "Well, that's that's great. That's right. healthy. That's that's a very healthy way of approaching life. That's a very healthy way of approaching your relationship with God." But what happened to make you feel like maybe that wasn't healthy, especially as you were feeling sort of superior and like this certainty is giving me a lot of comfort. Yes, that um, I embraced 
certainty because I thrived in it. And, and I think it's easy to thrive in certainty. Yeah. Because it's, it, it's it, simple. <laughs> yes. Um, and as my life progressed, um, sometimes I'm just, I feel like Heavenly Father just put things in my path or just life happened. And whether that was um, I attended Bricks College and got married, and probably my first deal with the gap between the ideal and the real is when I got married and I couldn't have children. And when you grow up thinking that the only purpose and role of women is to be mothers, that's something to grapple with. Yeah, definitely. And since um, at that time, Sherry Dew was talking about all how all women are mothers, that's something I clung to for maybe the next 10 to 12 years of my life. Um, we had a child through IVF. We did four or five years of foster care. We had an adoption that fell through. We did other medical interventions. It just seemed like almost everything in my life for the next 10 to 20, 12 years was just attempting to be a mother. And we moved to Virginia um, at that point, and I just told my husband, I was like, I'm just exhausted of emotionally, physically, right. psychologically, everything that I've been trying to do to be motherhood. And I just said, I need a break. Um, financially, I needed to get a job. And I said, just give me some time to think and, you know, rest and let's, and then we'll hop back in. And I think I had the most cognitive dissonance of my life when I started working full time and I had a seven-year-old daughter <laughs> and I'm a working mother, which I thought should never happen, um, that that's not a right choice to make. And I felt the most peace come into my life. I had this overwhelming feeling of peace and happiness and my family found a rhythm that like we all enjoyed and there was so much happiness and I was confused. And we were living in Virginia and I wasn't able to reconcile. I didn't know what it meant. And I went to the temple and I had just been thinking about it and praying about it. And as I was sitting in the temple, I got an answer to my, I felt like I got an answer to my prayer that said, I didn't send you here to fill a role. I sent you here to build my kingdom. And that didn't make sense to me because I only understood women through roles. And so I, <laughs> it feels like I rushed home, but there was a five hour journey home. <laughs> and I feel like I went straight to the living of the prophet, teaching the living prophets manual. And I broke it open and I read pages and pages about the role of women and mothers and things that prophets have said through the past about how women shouldn't be working outside the home. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what it meant. I said, how, how could I have an answer that doesn't match what I've been taught or told my whole life? And I, it took me a while to wrestle with that. And I started, um, and that was about the time I think that blogs were big. And I started reading a blog and there were some questions about, there was a post about a father that felt like he didn't want to be a presider in the home. He wanted to have egalitarian, equal partnership. And 
I started being introduced to questions I hadn't thought of before and church history that I'd never heard before. And I just, I felt unmoored. And amidst all of this, um, I finally just decided to trust my personal inspiration. I was like, I'm gonna trust my personal inspiration even if it doesn't match what the authority, what I understand to be the authoritative answer to be. And um, I think that was a very significant moment in my life that I claimed spiritual authority for myself. I think up until that point, I'd probably handed spiritual authority off to others. And um, did it help you? What's so interesting about that experience, especially as we talk about binary thinking, is to say, I felt like the authority figures were telling me one thing, and yet God was telling me another. Did it help you to recognize the authority that came from God? Did, did that help you get through that? It, because you said you recognized it as a spiritual experience. Yes. Did, did that help you? And how did it help you get, get through that? To say, maybe my personal story is going to develop with the help of God rather than what I've always thought. That's, that's exactly the linchpin. Because, because my prompting into questions came from a spiritual experience with God, I think I may have had a, an anchor that other people may not have yeah. had. Because I feel like, how could I throw out everything when the first thing that gave me a question was an experience, a personal experience, where I felt like God was speaking to yeah. me. Yeah, because I think that, that would understandably be an impulse. Yeah. Let, I'll get rid of everything in order to have certainty yeah. so that I don't have to grapple with it. So as you were grappling with this, what helped you continue to grapple rather than give up? What helped you stay connected to God? I, I would say that I, I fell into a deep, whole of questions. I, um, a faith crisis, a certainty crisis, it probably lasted several years um, of searching, of reading, of learning, of trying to find bearings again. And at a certain point you get tired. And at the bottom of the hole, which I never thought I would get to, but you, I think that it's common to just come to question everything. Well, what if none none of it is real? And just like a quick answer came that said, well, then all that matters, regardless of whether any of this is real, all that matters is how we treat each other. And I clung to that. And then the next step, I went back because it felt like everything had kind of fallen apart. (laughs) And I had to come to a personal conclusion that I wanted to rebuild. And I think that part of that was my spiritual experiences in the past. I, and I have to make a clarification. It's probably not, 
I came to distrust all of my warm, fuzzy spiritual experiences because in that spiral, I came to remember that growing up, I um, would feel those feelings when I would watch an inspiring movie. I would feel those feelings when I was at an Amway convention with my parents. <laughs> um, and I had to grapple with those emotional feelings, maybe um, confirmation bias. They may be emotions and they may be the spirit. And so I wanted to find a different way to, I felt like I had to rebuild without relying on maybe the warm, fuzzy experiences. Well, because your, your certainty before had come from that. Yes. So you wanted to find a way to find belief in a different way, which I think makes sense and, and is certainly praiseworthy. As you were going through this, I, I think it's important for other people to understand as they're watching someone they love go through this to avoid the same binaries <laughs> that might have caused some of the trouble in the first place. And I don't even know that it's fair to call it trouble because it is such a good, healthy thing in so many ways. But I, how, would, I would never want to go back and not have my experiences. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad you feel that way. I yeah. think it's important to see it that way. But were, were there times where it, it made it more difficult when the people you loved were trying to push you back into certainty? And, and if so, what was more helpful for you, especially for people who are wondering, if I have a loved one going through this, how do I help them? What was helpful for you and what was maybe not so helpful for you with other people's reactions? The main response I got from family came from fear. Um, a, a lot of my questions or a lot of my beliefs seemed to match people who had left. And they were afraid I was going to be an empty chair at their celestial kingdom table. <laughs> and I knew it and I felt it and I felt rejected and I didn't feel trusted and I didn't feel loved and it was harmful. The more that I got of that, I think the harder it was for me to stay. I think one of my lifelines was my husband who started <clears throat> a little nervous. <laughs> When it all started, he was very nervous, but it came to a point where he sought to understand. And he didn't need to, he, he didn't think he needed to agree. And I didn't, there are times I really wanted him to agree <laughs> and to see things the way I did. But we never um, forced each other or put pressure on each other to be where the other one wanted to be to a point where it created, created conflict. And he just, even if he didn't understand while he was trying to, the fact that he tried to, and the fact that he said, I will love you anyway. I didn't fall in love with you because of your belief in blank. Right. And I felt safe. And I felt like everything would be okay no matter what happened. And I, I love that because I think safety 
doesn't always come in certainty. I think often it doesn't. But safety comes through love. You remind me of the scripture, perfect love casteth out fear. Yeah, I, actually, I think it's a terrifying feeling to lose every foundation <laughs> of how you see yourself in the world. And that provided my temporary um, space that I needed that allowed me to find space to rebuild, to say, I want to live a life of faith. And what do I do now? How do I do this? And what I, I looked around and I said, well, who are the people that know the things that I know or want to know and still make it work? And I looked to the work of Mormon historians and um, some academics and even some people who have experienced faith crises outside of the Mormon church in their yeah. own faith. Yeah. Um, there are many, uh, there's one in particular that was a very good example of how things can deconstruct without losing Jesus. And I still just desperately love Jesus. I love the story of Jesus. I love the gospel of Jesus. And that became my new foundation as I rebuilt. I realized that I may have had some of my foundation on a belief in infallible prophets and some other things that I'd found out that were not as steady as I thought and that maybe I'd felt let down by. And so that's where I started my rebuilding. And, um, and even if it's wrong, like I had to, there was still amidst my rebuilding of Jesus and God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and these things that I love, I am still giving my space, myself space to, to be wrong. I may be wrong about Jesus. Um, there was a moment where I was seeking sources of people who were making it work. And there was one that explained how belief is not faith. And that if you conflate the two, once you lose belief, you lose your faith. And as I was searching, I tried to, well, what do I believe then? Um, and I allowed myself, there's a lot of angst when you're in the midst of so much information and you're trying to figure out what you believe. And I gave myself space to say, some days I'm going to feel like singing shall the youth of Zion falter from the <laughs> tops of the, um, from my rooftop. And other days I may feel angry. I may want to burn everything down. I may not believe any of it. And that's okay because I'm not sure that anyone knows all of the spirituality and everything about God. I'm not sure that any human who's ever lived knows things. We all see things through a glass darkly. But if I allow myself some flexibility on belief, um, it allows me to engage in a deep life of faith. Right. I can trust my Heavenly Father. I can, um, I can have hope that it's true. And through my actions, I can, how I love others and how I live 
um, is how I engage with my faith. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's interesting that being able to recognize that gray area sort of brought you more clarity with your relationship with God, which yes. seems counterintuitive, but is so beautiful because he wants us to come to know him through our experiences, both good and bad. And as from where you are now, I, I, I like that you can admit that it's still difficult and there's still that tension. There's still hard days. And sometimes I see people who have those hard days and it breaks them and they leave or they have a hard month. Um, and I just, I'm not sure if I'll ever be sure again, but I know that I find beauty here. I know that I love practicing. I know that I love God. I know that I'm a better person when I do. And as you, as you look back on that, I think from where you've come from, when you see people who do think in binaries or maybe see people who don't understand why you don't anymore, what has helped you develop charity for them or help to understand them better? Have you have, had experiences where you realized it's not helpful to judge them any more yes. than you used to judge other people? Right. I, it, it was very difficult because sometimes how other people live their binaries can hurt you or you feel like you were hurt by binaries growing up. And so you want to make sure that no one else is doing binaries that will hurt anyone else. And it can be difficult when um, you're engaging in a place where a lot of people think in binaries and they see your faith as lesser. And I was, I was with a group of women one time we were at this retreat and one of them was a therapist and she came over and she talked about how we need to love all versions of our past self. And sometimes the difficulty that we have with others is actually the difficulty that we have with our past selves. Right. And I saw the difficulty that I was having with others, that I was not loving my past self, that I was, I was judging who she was and how she went through the world and saw things and judged others and how it was wrong and bad. And when I came to have charity for my past self and to love her and to be grateful that she was part of who I became, that I needed her, um, it was so much easier to love others who were in that same space. And you have to forgive yourself for things that you might have done that were damaging to others because you didn't know better and when you see that you were doing the best you can with what you had you know that other people are doing the best they can with what they have and if yeah we need charity for ourselves and charity for others um that was also another important moment in my journey as you Think back to that somewhat painful process that you, you appreciate 
as transformative, yeah. as sanctifying, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? You, you talked about the, the deep, dark hole. If you could go back and talk to yourself, what would you say to yourself at that point to give you hope? Oh, that there's a space on the other side that you can find and that you can work for if you want to. If you want to get to the other side, I feel like you have to have a desire and that you have to work really hard to find it. And, but it's a type of engagement that with faith and with God and with others that is deeper than anything that you've experienced before, that you'll find more love and safety than you think is possible. Even when you, as you continue in uncertainty, as you can stay in uncertainty yeah. and find safety and faith. Yeah. You don't have to choose one or the other and, um, you know, be certain that it's all true or be certain that it's all false. Yeah, and I, I think just going back to one of the things that, that caused you to question about your value as a woman, it's so interesting that you found value, not through womanhood, but through no. your relationship with God. Yes. And, and, and I love that you found that value. And I love your story. And I love you. And I thank you so much for sharing it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Mm -hmm.